What's up gamers and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am Hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer. And you have just stepped into my captain's quarters, my weekly gaming update show where I talk about my favorite gaming news topic of the past week, discuss what games I've been playing, give tips on some of those games, as well as issue a weekly relevant gaming related decree. This week, of course, it's all about the Xbox buyout of Activision Blizzard, so let's talk about it and dive right into the episode with my news catch of the week. Gamers, it happened again. You know, it feels like it was just a short time ago that we were talking about the Xbox buyout of Bethesda and Zenimax. You know, they got the Elder Scrolls and Fallout and Starfield and Doom and Wolfenstein and all these classic franchises under the Xbox Game Studios family name. Here we are, barely a year later, and guys, we are talking about another Microsoft buyout. This time, a massive buyout of an even bigger publisher, Activision Blizzard. Now, to put things into perspective, the Bethesda deal was pretty huge at the time and was, at that time, the biggest buyout in gaming history at $7.5 billion. Well, flash forward a year and Microsoft is, you know what? We're not going to just rest at $7.5 billion. Let's times that times 10 and bring it up to $68.7 billion and buy Activision Blizzard. So here we are, $70 billion later, and man, I am absolutely shocked. I just got to tell you guys, it absolutely put me into a state of speechlessness. I literally, my eyes had that kind of wide look to them, my mouth was agape, and I'm just sitting there like, wow. Did I really just read this right? Let me, I, I reread the article and the heading just to make sure I wasn't seeing the wrong thing. Well, I absolutely was not. And this happened on Tuesday of this past week, just 48 short hours ago. And look, this deal does exactly what you think that it might do. Xbox would become the owners of franchises like Call of Duty, Warcraft, Overwatch, Tony Hawk, Crash Bandicoot, Spyro the Dragon, Diablo, and so much more, guys. And look, I, I'm not a huge fan of some of these franchises mentioned, but at the end of the day, these are some big names and franchises to potentially have exclusively on your console. Now, I will say Phil Spencer, of course, he had his say in this whole thing. And he, if you don't know who Phil is, he is the CEO of Microsoft Gaming. And after the buyout was announced, he said that all Activision Blizzard companies would be, in fact, reporting to him. And he also said that as many Activision Blizzard games as possible, we will try to get onto Game Pass services. Now... Nothing has been said yet about Call of Duty or these other mega franchises that Activision Blizzard owns being Xbox exclusives. But as I mentioned earlier, the Bethesda buyout, we all knew it was coming. 
Starfield was confirmed eventually as an Xbox console exclusive. Now, we haven't heard anything about Elder Scrolls or Fallout or Doom or any of the other franchises that Bethesda owns, but I can pretty much guarantee that maybe not all of those franchises, but I bet you most of them are going to be exclusive to Xbox. Worst case scenario, they are not just exclusive to Xbox, but maybe they have day one access on Game Pass as far as an Xbox owner. And that's a best case scenario for a PlayStation owner. Hey, we still get to play these games. We just don't get them on Game Pass. Okay, I can roll with that. But worst case scenario for a PlayStation owner, unfortunately, would be, and even some of these third-party games on Nintendo systems, (laughs) the fact that you can't play them at all anymore unless you get an Xbox. So Bloomberg has some sources that they've talked about here recently reporting that Microsoft does plan to continue selling some Activision Blizzard games on PlayStation, but will make some content exclusive to Xbox. Now, what does that mean, guys? What does that mean? Well, it could mean a few things. Look, Microsoft probably right now knows from a PR standpoint They got to save face. They can't look like the big bully coming in with all this money and just, you know what, we're going to buy our way to first place in the console war and basically force Sony to be successful strictly off of its first party titles, which I'll just say, put it out there, I believe they could still do that with the power and the love that gamers have for those franchises, but given the context of this situation, we'll kind of focus on what is Microsoft's thought process? Well, right now, everything's, the dust is still settling. It's still early in the announcement. We're still all kind of like, holy crap, trying to wrap our heads around what has actually happened here. And what does this mean for the future of gaming? I keep seeing that everywhere online. And, you know, I think that ultimately, I do believe there will be specific titles that will come multi-platform, just as they always have. Again, just like with Bethesda, I believe they probably will still be on Game Pass Day 1 on Xbox and PC. But what about the exclusive games? When, When they say content, what are they referencing? Is it a play of words here? Is it exclusive content in the sense of, well, you know, we'll have... DLC in the future post-launch of the base game that'll be exclusive to Xbox. You'll get exclusive maps and game modes on Call of Duty or exclusive levels in Crash Bandicoot and Spyro and Tony Hawk. Or is it content, exclusive content? Because that can also be used as a term to reference a full-on game. So gamers, I'm telling you, it's a game of words right now. And they're being very, very shadowy about the specifics of what words they use. I don't blame them. I respect it. I get it. They got to do what they got to do to protect themselves right now from just an absolute onslaught of torches and pitchforks and the, the mass mobs coming to the castle to storm the doors down and kill the monster. I get it. But... What does this mean ultimately for PlayStation gamers at this point going forward? It's another question I thought about. Well, again, 
Worst case scenario, there's a lot of exclusives there that potentially Call of Duty, Spyro, Crash, franchises that are synonymous with PlayStation. And I'm speaking really more so about Crash and Spyro there because Call of Duty has been back and forth with its loyalty to a brand. You know, initially during the 360 days, they were loyal to Xbox. And then when the tables kind of turned and the torch was passed from Xbox to PlayStation, taking back over as number one in the PS4, Xbox One era, then Call of Duty also transitioned with that and kind of gave that loyalty back to PlayStation. But here we are, and if PlayStation gamers are cut out of a lot of these games, or even worst case scenario, again, all of these games, I think that would be a tragedy. You know, I think that for somebody like Phil Spencer, and this is all hypothetical here, guys, speculation, hypotheticals, nothing is confirmed at all at this point. I'm just kind of rambling <laughs> about my thoughts on all of this. So hypothetical, if they were exclusive to Xbox, I, I just think that that would just kill, especially for a company and Phil Spencer specifically, a guy who states all the time, it's better when we all play together. Okay, well, why are you limiting a certain, a big portion of gamers and the console gaming community by not allowing them to play these games when they have always been able to play these games? I don't think that would be cool. I don't know. As far as PlayStation gamers, you know, I feel like if you're a dedicated PlayStation guy or gal and you will not be forced into essentially buying an Xbox or, or converting back to an Xbox or to an Xbox. I think that you'll still be good to go because this is specifically talking Activision Blizzard games. And again, I like some of these games. I don't necessarily love some of these games. So say if I was a strictly PlayStation owner and it was a situation where these games went exclusive, all of them, to Xbox. Ah, wouldn't really bother me too much if that was the case. If I was still able to play the likes of Uncharted and all the other amazing PlayStation franchises. Spider-Man, Wolverine coming out, Forspoken, Horizon, God of War. Woo! I think I'd be okay. So PlayStation gamers, I can't speak for you, but I can say... I don't think, unless you're a devout Call of Duty player on the PlayStation or World of Warcraft or Overwatch, that might be a little bit more touchy. But I think overall, the PlayStation brand, PlayStation gamers, I think things will be okay. What does it mean for gaming? Now, this is a question that I keep seeing everywhere this topic is at online, and it's a valid question. What does this mean for gaming? Is this a monopoly? Are there antitrust laws being broken here? Now, articles and different research that I've seen and read, no. As of right now, there doesn't appear to be any antitrust laws that are broken due to the fact that Microsoft is not buying a direct competitor. If Microsoft were buying Sony, then yes, that would be the attempts on a monopoly. But because it is a mutual, agreed-upon merger of two companies, yes, they both exist in the same ecosystem of video games, but Activision Blizzard is not a direct competitor to the brand or the company of Xbox or Microsoft. 
so they can kind of get away with it under some technicalities in that sense. So what does it mean overall for gaming? I don't yet know. You know, I do feel for years now, Microsoft has said that Game Pass or a subscription-based platform like Game Pass is the future of gaming. And it very much looks like that may be the case. And I'm okay with that. I'm a very devout, for years, Game Pass customer. I love Game Pass. I love the options it gives me. I love the freedom it gives me to be able to try out things that I would not have normally paid money before to try out. But I do wonder, is it going to limit the, the accessibility of certain games or experiences by funneling everything into one box or one platform and that platform being Xbox? Because the more options of player base you have, the better chance of success for the developer of their game. And I think at the end of the day, we lose sight of the developers here and stuff like this because, yes, we as gamers think of ourselves immediately. It just, it's natural, it's human. But what about the developer? <laughs> you know, they want as many people to have access to play their game as possible. And when you limit the amount of potential user base by cutting half or more, we'll just say 60% of the console space between Microsoft and Sony, then that's a huge cut and potential success. So from that aspect, I don't like it. Now, I will say Sony, as far as their own subscription service, has something in the pipeline, Spartacus. So maybe they will be able to offer something similar for some of those games as well. And we won't see it be as much of a disparity between the two. But I don't know. The other question I have is, is Team Xbox now a villain? Does this act make them a villain? Does the fact that it's so close to last year and the Bethesda buyout, is that one reason why people are acting the way they are or making it seem or questioning is Xbox a villain? I personally don't think so. I don't think it makes them a villain. I think that it does make good business sense. They, despite what Phil Spencer may say in public forums and despite what Sony and Jack Tretton and whoever else might say in open forums, it doesn't make sense or logical <laughs> honesty to try to sit there and say there's no competitiveness between the two companies because we all know there is. They are two businesses vying for the same thing. Top spot in their respective area, which is video games and the video game consumer. So you can't tell me that that doesn't exist, that competitiveness doesn't exist. So from a standpoint of being, hey, we got to protect our brand, we got to, what can we do to make our brand more attractive to people. You know, they've been doing and kind of upgrading in a sense. Microsoft has the Game Pass program for years now. You look at it and incrementally, year over year, they've continued since its inception and since its first rollout, they've continued to expand the offers of the program. At the beginning, there weren't Microsoft first-party games available day one on Game Pass. There was a small handful of games 
it was still close to the 100 number mark, but it was a handful of games that weren't necessarily top-tier AAA experiences. As the program, though, gained momentum and a, a user base, and that subscription user base increased, and Microsoft was making some money off of it, once they got to that point, it was phase two, which was, hey, all first-party Microsoft games, day one. Then it was phase three. Hey, we're going to roll out xCloud and make that part of your Game Pass Ultimate subscription, which is now going to basically include Xbox Live Gold, Xbox Game Pass, and xCloud. Oh, then guess what? We're also, a few months later, going to announce and add an EA Play as part of the bundle. So they've continued to expand the platform, is my point. And I think this is potentially part of the next rollout of that. Even if you look at last year with Bethesda's buyout and having those games day one on Game Pass. That's a third party, what used to be a third party major publisher with these games that we still don't know whether or not all of them are going to be first party exclusives to Xbox or if they're still going to release Elder Scrolls and Fallout on PlayStation platforms. We don't know that 100% yet. Doom, Wolfenstein, maybe they do release on those platforms, but you can get it on Game Pass day one. So you look at that, and then you come to this year. Now we're probably going to see the same thing with these Activision Blizzard games. So ultimately, does any of this make Xbox a villain? I don't personally think so. I think that they're doing what they feel is best to drive their brand and expand the options and offers to continue to attract more and more people to that service. Because right now, that is where Team Xbox is making a killing is on that subscription fee of 16 bucks a month on 25 million subscribers right now and climbing. So to continue to keep adding to that, no wonder they got 68 to $70 billion to spend on buying Activision Blizzard. Now, my next question is, what will Sony do? Well, you're going to have to stay tuned to the end of the episode in my Captain's Decree segment for me to go into my details on that. But finally, I'll leave you with this for the catch of the week. How do I feel? Well, it's kind of how I mentioned earlier. I just, I was completely caught off guard by it, completely mouth agape and speechless. And man, you know, I just, I don't know what to think. I'll be honest with you. I am very middle of the road on my emotions and my feelings about the whole thing, if admittedly a little biased, because in reality for me, it doesn't really affect me in the end because I have a PlayStation and an Xbox. So regardless of how it shapes out, either way, I'm still good to go. So I can't give what I would consider an unbiased, fully objective opinion without there being even subconsciously, minutely, a little bit of bias going on there. So I try to objectively think about it from both sides. And if you're an Xbox fan and you have Game Pass, you got a lot of great stuff to look forward to. If you're a PlayStation fan, as I said earlier, even if they do take away Call of Duty and World of Warcraft and things like that, man, think about the amazing library of games you're still going to have to play. And this is just one publisher, Activision Blizzard. There's still an amazing amount of other third-party games and options out there. Again, to reiterate, not to mention those first-party masterpieces that Sony typically releases two to three times a year. So there's a lot to look forward to if you're still sticking with the PlayStation. And at the end of the day, we really don't know the full breadth 
of what the impact of this decision will make and how everything is going to shape up in the end, exclusives or not. So we'll just have to wait and see. So that'll do it for my catch of the week. Now let's go open up my captain's log and see what games I've been playing. Gamers, if you have been listening to the show recently, you will know that I've been going on an amazing epic adventure with none other than my guy, Link, in The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword HD. So of course, first up this week in my captain's log is none other than my coverage of the three hours that I got this past week to put into The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword HD. So gamers, last I left you, I had just arrived at the beautiful Lake Floria. Now, I had just acquired the Water Dragon Scale, which if you remember, that is what allows you to dive and swim underwater, which I was so excited for because I just, I, I don't know what it is. I love anything aquatic and underwater, and I love exploring underwater in games. So I could not wait to really take this ability for a test run. And man, was I not disappointed in my further progress. So I began by taking this swan dive off of this really high cliff in the Faron Woods, way deep down into the lake, Floria. And I began exploring. So as you go through and you're swimming and you're exploring the underwater areas of Lake Floria, there's all these different underwater tunnels and underwater caves that you can surface in and explore. And it was just this absolutely gorgeous, colorful area that I loved being in and exploring. And just, man, I couldn't get close enough to that Switch OLED screen. I tell you, just to, I wanted to be in there and in exploring with Link. And it was amazing. So all the different colored corals and seaweeds just really pop out at you. And on top of that, you get a really cool ability to use underwater. It's called the torpedo spin. And, you know, there's some points that are going to be in these underwater tunnels where you come across some wooden boards that block your path forward. And you're going to have to use that new move to break through them by spinning and kind of torpedoing or propelling forward. And that was pretty cool. But there are two other ways to use this move. One, this is how you can attack enemies that are underwater trying to get at you. But my favorite way to utilize this move, oh man, is for breaching. And what I mean by that, I mean breaching in the sense that when a whale flies up to the surface of the water from underneath and just jumps into the air and comes splashing back down, that's called breaching. Well, you can do that now in Skyward Sword HD, where I'm at. And it was so fun. Just, you do it for multiple reasons. There may be different barriers that you have to jump over using this breach move. And say you'll dive down further deep to get your distance to be able to build up some more speed and just torpedo spin your way to the top of the surface of the water and angle it correctly to where Link just spins and dives over this little hurdle onto the other side and into another aquatic water-filled area. And in addition to that, it's also a new way for you to traverse the environment and say there are different cliff edges or areas that you can't climb up, just straight up climb up out of them, you have to line up that torpedo spin move and go a little bit deeper into the water and fly right up and you'll land on the surface on whatever ledge or cliff face that you're trying to get to. 
it's just so fun. It looks cool. It feels cool and was just awesome. I could not get enough of it. Now, eventually, as you're exploring through the underwater area of Lake Floria, you do end up meeting with the water dragon. And of course, she needs something from you, which happens to be a bottle of sacred water. And that happens to be all the way back in the Skyview Temple. So after I made my way back there and I defeated a mini boss, I would call it, of three Stalfos. Now these guys are giant, multi-armed, multi-sword-wielding skeletons, and they're really no joke. You gotta have your dodge move pretty handy on, on this little fight here. But after you defeat them, you are able to open up the chest, claim the sacred water, and you scoop it out of the spring that happens to be, you know, guarded by these three. And once you obtain the sacred water, uh, you rush back, or I rush back to the water dragon. And the reward for giving the sacred water to the water dragon is entrance to the next dungeon in the game, the ancient cistern which is actually where I'm currently exploring now. And so far, guys, I love the environment. It's very ancient temple-ish. Obviously, there's a lot of flooded areas because as every Zelda game, and most games, you're going to be using the new abilities you have to explore and to progress into the newest dungeon. And I have acquired, speaking of new moves, or in this case, the next new adventure item, I have acquired that item for my pouch. And that item is the whip. And yep, it is just what you would expect it to be. Just like Indiana Jones, you can use the whip to latch on to protruding tree limbs or poles in the area and swing across the previously unreachable areas, as well as latch on to levers or other objects that are in the environment to pull and or activate them. Awesome, awesome addition. And I've just barely scratched the surface of the utilization of this item. So it is a really cool addition to the adventure pouch and I am just constantly loving this game and its world. And guys, I'm just so glad I'm finally getting a chance to play it thanks to the HD remaster on the Switch. So that was my three hours this past week in Skyward Sword HD. I played one more game this past week and that game was Halo Infinite. And this past week, it was like the previous Captain's Quarters episode where I discussed it. Man, it was definitely the bulk of my playtime. I dropped 15 hours into this game since the last recording. I'm currently on the ninth out of 15 missions. And if you listen to my episode last week, you'll know that I wasn't necessarily a big fan of a lot of the systems in place for this game. And just in general, I wasn't as into it as I wanted to be. Well, guys... Man, what a difference a week can make. So allow me to explain myself in my highlight of the week. Gamers, to kick off this segment, let me just say my highlight of the week is my entire time of Halo Infinite play as a whole. Everything about it. I have become obsessed with this world of Zeta Halo, the Master Chief, the Banished, all of these amazing things that are going on in this game, I have become obsessed with them. 
And I realized that I, I made the same mistake with this game. Going back to last week's Captain's Quarters, that playtime, it was the same mistake I made with Cyberpunk 2077 last year. And if you've been following me for that long, you'll know right out the gate, I made the mistake of trying to play Cyberpunk 2077 from a standpoint of, hey, I got past the opening prologue and the missions, and let me just explore and do side quests. And I didn't feel a sense of purpose. I didn't let the game speak to me. I didn't allow it to grip my soul, my gaming soul. Well, you know, not that I intentionally did that with Halo Infinite or repeated that with Halo Infinite, but that's essentially what I did because last week when I sat down, I had literally the entire day and I knew it was going to be what I call a game-a-thon day for me to just lose myself, hopefully in a good way, to Halo Infinite. And man, did it not take too long for that to happen. And what it is, it's all these different little things that I love about gaming. There are certain games that do it so well. Assassin's Creed Valhalla was one of them. Zelda Skyward Sword has been one of them. Now Halo Infinite. And I never thought that I would really feel that way playing a Halo game. Because, you know, I talked about it last week. Most Halo games are pretty much a linear experience. You have Mission 1, Mission 2, Mission 3, and sure, the areas and environments you go to can be kind of open-ended and have certain size or they, they have that feeling to them to where they're very massive and big, but there's only so many places that you can go and there is only so much square footage at the end of the day within the parameters of whatever mission you're doing. Infinite blows that out of the water. That is not even a concept here. The entirety of Zeta Halo is there for you to explore, and it's massive. And there's so many amazing things to do and experience and have fun with in this world. You know, the FOB, the forward operating base, that aspect of the side activity I was not into last week. Well, now I am. I enjoy when I see those. They pop up different collectible icons on the map, which I did know before and mentioned before, but... Now, because I love exploring Zeta Halo so much more than I did a week ago, it makes a difference to me. When you're taking over these different other bases that are not forward operating bases, but they're like these massive, almost I would liken them to castles from back in the day. And you're having to get these gates come down and destroy these missile silos or fuel silos. And inside of these areas, what I have fallen in love with are the audio locks. And I know that may sound nuts, but it's the truth. I absolutely love this story. It gives you just so much understanding of what you're doing, what happened here, potentially in some of the areas and audio logs, moments before you get there. If you see the remnants of a battle, but there's an audio log nearby, it gives you context to what you see in front of you in the environment. If you go into a building that may be some kind of warehouse or it looked like there was some kind of welding or manufacturing going on by the banished you may find a banished audio log and it gives context to what the purpose was behind these areas that you're exploring instead of just being generic buildings and geometry that you walk through to get from point A to point B. And I love it. I absolutely love it. In this story, there's multiple Spartans that had also been on Zeta Halo and there's different stories that they each have and different cross intersections of points in time where Master Chief has been intersected with some of the UNSC soldiers or even the Spartans along the way. And those audio logs hearkening back to those moments. And, oh, guys, I could just go on and on and on. 
And it's not just the audio logs, though. I came across a lot of Easter eggs, something random and seemingly stupid. I, I kept just climbing to the top of this mountain area. And when I got to the top, it was I just love stupid little things like this. There was a beach chair sitting at the top of the mountain and an inflatable arbiter. <laughs> it popped up as you get close to it, just bam, pops up and there's an inflatable arbiter. I just thought it was cool. I couldn't help but laugh. And it was just little things like that that developers like 343 put in their games. I love finding that stuff. Going after skulls and trying to find and find the location of the black eye skull, which I'll go into in my buried treasure segment. But man, just really scouring the environment and just seeing, uh, I can go on and on and on. I will not, but man, I absolutely fell in love with the visuals, the waterfalls, the rivers, the lakes, the ponds, the mountains, everything interspersed and interconnected with technology and these mountainous steel spires. There was just so much going on in Zeta Halo. I love it. The banter, the propaganda towers. Guys, whoo! If you can't tell, I was absolutely enraptured by Halo Infinite this past week. So there's no wonder I spent 15 hours doing as much exploration as possible to just completely lose myself in that world of Zeta Halo. But as promised, up next is a Buried Treasure gaming segment that I have for you with some tips and Halo Infinite. Gamers, as mentioned in the last segment, I have come across my first skull in Halo Infinite. And the skull is called the Black Eye Skull. And it took a lot, and I mean a lot, of really scrutinizing the environment to figure out where is this thing at. Now, if you're not very much familiar with Halo or what skulls are, basically they are collectible items you can find throughout the campaign that will then in turn unlock stat buffs and different things like that that will affect either multiplayer matches and or your campaign playthrough. So, you know, I'm just scouring the environment. As I said, I'm on mission nine, the sequence, to give you perspective of where this will be located at. And I would say if you're looking at the island-ish area that the sequence takes place on, about halfway through, if you're looking right dead center in the middle of that map, if you're really pressing down on the D-pad quite often in order to do that pulse to kind of give you things that are interactable in the environment to pop up, if you do it right enough, close enough to this area, you'll see and come into this area where there is a small pond with this beautiful fog resting just above it. And towards the back of it, there is a waterfall. Now, you see a skull icon, or you will see a skull icon pop up on your map. And that skull icon in-game will hover at the middle of that pond. Okay, well, I go towards the icon in the middle of the pond. No skull. I literally circle every square inch of that pond up and down, looking for the skull. Nothing. Found an audio log. Found some armor, maybe some weaponry, but no skull. So then the icon does something really weird. It switched all the way over. It switched all the way over to the opposite side of where I was at in this kind of a hilly mountainous area. So I go over there the icon switches back to the pond. So before going nuts with listening to me about the back and forthness of the icon, let me just tell you, that waterfall that I mentioned earlier, that is where you need to focus on. Because what happens is about halfway up that waterfall, behind it, there's a little alcove. 
that if you look just enough, you can see it and use that beautiful, amazing grapple shot to get up there. And once you climb into that little alcove and go into this little tunnel that goes into the mountain, guess what? You will find waiting for you the black eye skull. So if you haven't gotten a skull yet so far in the game, there you go. Hopefully that helps you get your first one. So hopefully that'll save you some time. Now let's go look at my captain's decree this week. Gamers, of course, this week my captain's decree calls back to my catch of the week and the Xbox buyout of Activision Blizzard. So the decree is a couple questions. What is the impact of the Microsoft buyout and will Sony respond by purchasing its own publisher? So let me just flat out right out the gate say, personally, I don't think so. I don't think Sony is going to run out there and say, hey, me too. I want to buy a publisher too. It just doesn't seem like it's the kind of business plan that Sony wants to operate by. I feel like Sony, when they hear these acquisition deals from Microsoft, they just kind of look at the screen or the scroll on their TV screen or wherever they get the information from. And they just kind of like cut their eyes and like, eh. All right, man. I mean, hey, you want to spend seven and a half billion for Bethesda? All right. Year later, huh. wow. All right, seventy billion. Uh, all right. Well, you know, whatever. It's your money. I, that's how I feel. They react. I don't. At, for a second, I don't believe that Sony is like, oh man. Oh, what what are we gonna do? We got who are we gonna buy? We gotta buy somebody. I don't think that at all is how Sony feels. So I don't think. No, nah, I could be wrong. We could be completely caught off guard, or I, at least. I won't speak for you, the listener, but for me, I could be completely caught off guard, and Sony may, in fact, come out of nowhere and buy their own publisher. But speaking of that, hypothetically, let's talk hypothetical here. Say Sony is put in a position to where they feel they have to go against that business plan to protect some of their third-party content they have coming to them. Now, you know, Sony has already gone on record... You know, regards to this most recent acquisition of Xbox, and they've said, look, you know, we have no concern or worry about any third-party content or games uh, not coming to our PlayStation platforms due to contractual obligations with our partners. So I get it. It's a very official kind of statement or response in regards to it, but it's also an honest one. It's like, look, you know, we, <laughs> we have contracts with these people that say that they will develop games for our console for X amount of years, I assume, or however long the duration of time is. And I don't know the legality of it. Look, I don't know if it's because now Microsoft owns these companies instead of them being independent of themselves, if that negates certain contractual obligations or not. I don't know. I don't think so. But the bottom line is Sony doesn't seem concerned about it. But say they were enough to buy their own third-party publisher. Who would they purchase? You know, two publishers always come to mind when talking about acquisition in the gaming industry for me. The first is WB Interactive. WB Interactive, they're responsible for Mortal Kombat and The Witcher, Cyberpunk, things of that nature. <sighs> the Batman Arkham games, Suicide Squad, they have the DC brand, ultimately. So when you look at the potential portfolio that one could acquire by buying <laughs> WB Interactive, it's pretty impressive. 
think about it. You have the fighting franchise, the most popular fighting franchise in the world in Mortal Kombat. You have one of the most lauded franchises in RPG history with The Witcher. And you also have a whole slate of options to choose from as far as comic book games when it comes to DC and their heroes. Now, for years, me and my friends have talked about the fact that it wouldn't surprise us if Microsoft bought WB Interactive because Sony seems to have a very good relationship with Marvel. Obviously, we got Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2 coming. You got Wolverine now coming as an exclusive to PlayStation. So it's like, okay, well, in that sense, it's very easy to go to is PlayStation, the Marvel box and Xbox, the DC box. You could say that, but point being, WB Interactive is one of those potential publishers that if there was another acquisition to be made on a major publisher anytime soon, I could see what if Sony purchased WB? Then Xbox wouldn't have access to any DC character games or some of the Marvel characters that have already been coming through like Wolverine and Spider-Man. That would be a pretty big hit, especially even to The Witcher. You can only get that on PS5? Really? Already, Final Fantasy 16 is confirmed for a PS5 exclusive deal. So then, again, not that it never was questioned, but it would be, again, reiterated that PlayStation is the RPG-dominant console. Now, the other publisher that always comes up when this discussion happens is Take-Two. Now, you know, I would have said the same about Activision Blizzard, uh, of what I'm about to say here about Take-Two. I was going to say, I feel like Take-Two is kind of too big for somebody to buy out. But again, I guess anything is possible, as we saw with this $70 billion deal for Activision Blizzard on Microsoft's part. But say Sony did look at Take-Two. That would be absolutely ginormous, guys. Take-Two, they have... Grand Theft Auto, Red Dead Redemption, need I say any more? <laughs> I mean, in addition to that, of course, they have the 2K brand and NBA, and they also have WWE and that license. So, I mean, there's a lot that Take-Two has that would also, again, be a huge blow to any receiving party of a buyout. So it just makes you wonder, what would happen if Sony did decide to get in on the acquisition game and buy either of these publishers. That would just be, it would start to get pretty ugly and pretty bloody, I feel like, in this content war. Uh, and just kind of get kind of nuts, to be honest, when you think of all the different directions that things could go. But ultimately, I plan to stay patient, see what PlayStation Spartacus is about, and see what silent plans that Sony may have lined up to make announcements on in the near future. That'll do it for this week's episode. I hope you've enjoyed your time aboard the SS Gamer. You can join its crew by searching for Hulking Yoda on the Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo Switch networks. Reach out to me via email at lostatseagaming365 at gmail.com as well as find me on social media on Instagram at Lost at Sea Gaming and on Twitter at Lost at Sea, G-A-M-I-N, the number one. Thank you for listening, and until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing.